chapter 13, Fear Gum Candy. That night, I started having the dream. I was playing outside with Jeffrey, and we were throwing something back and forth. Sometimes a tennis ball, sometimes a snowball. Every time the ball touched Jeffrey, a piece of him would instantly turn black. He was still smiling and saying, play with me, play with me. Every time I tried to stop, so I'd throw again and bam, again, bam, again, bam. Then he'd slowly start sinking into the ground, still with that smile on his face as my parents appeared behind him. And he'd start saying over and over again, you're their only boy. You're their only son. You're the only boy now. And I'd wake up screaming at the top of my lungs. I had the dream with slight variations, maybe every other night for the next two months. Thankfully, Jeffrey somehow always slept through it. My parents didn't, though. They eventually got so used to it happening that they started getting to my bed and grabbing me before I even woke myself up. Every time this happened, they would ask me what the dream was about, and every time I'd lie and say I didn't remember. My parents started pressuring me to tell Mrs. Galley about the dream, which I just didn't want to do. I thought, why would I need to tell her? What's she going to do? Send me to a psychiatrist? I'm not crazy. I'm having dreams that my extremely ill brother is dying, which makes sense. I hated the dreams with a burning passion, but the fact that I was having them didn't seem like a big blockbuster of a surprise to me. So for the time being, my parents' worries about their younger son's physical health were compounded by their worries about their older son's mental health. My dad paced back and forth a lot when he was home. My mom asked me a thousand times a day how I was doing, and I basically just pretended it was totally normal to wake up drenched with sweat, shrieking like a wounded banshee night after night. In the meantime, my mom was also asking for advice about this from all of the doctors, nurses, social worker, workers, and assorted therapy-type people in the Philly hospital, and every single one of them told her to get me into counseling as soon as she could. Some helpful soul down there also told her that experiencing Jeffrey's treatment firsthand by visiting the hospital might alleviate my anxiety. So she started bugging me to come down to Philly on one of the weekly trips, but every time she asked, I had an excuse handy, jazz band rehearsal, schoolwork, drum lesson, anything to keep me away from the mental health providers. Sure, I was plagued by nightmares, Absolutely, I was tormented by repeated bouts of what's-the-point syndrome, and there was no question that I was terrified by everything about Jeffrey's treatment. But I was coping, right? I was getting good grades in the third marking period. I was still improving rapidly on drums. I continued to be oddly popular at school. I had even patched things up with Renee Albert. One day on the bus, she caught me looking at her, and she stared back. Thinking fast, I made her an irresistible offer. Gum? You're offering me gum? Really? Yeah, really. Aren't you afraid I'll try to contaminate it? Well, it's only going into your own mouth, so feel free. I noticed that there were about 12 people watching this scene, like it was a jury trial or something. So I scooted across the aisle to sit by Renee and continue the peace talks and whatever privacy you can have on a packed school bus chugging along a main thoroughfare. Come on, Renee. Are you really going to be mad at me because I protected my baby brother by sending you home? Well, 
I failed the math final, if that's any consolation. You did? I'm sorry. Did your parents flip? Kinda. Don't worry about it. It was my own fault. I tuned out of that class for two months. No, Stephen, you had a lot on your mind. I'm sorry I got mad at you, and I'm sorry about the things I said. Well, you were right. I did have a crush on you in third grade. Do you have a crush on me now? She gave me the killer Renee Albert smile and took the piece of gum from my instantly sweaty palm. Just then, the bus pulled up to our stop. I reached back and across the aisle to get my backpack, and Annette held it out to me, glaring like I had been chatting with Renee about Annette's mother or something. I didn't have time to figure that one out. We weren't blessed with the most patient bus driver on the planet. I charged up to the front and out the door. The driver was already slamming down on the gas pedal while I was in midair, so I didn't turn around I didn't turn around in time to catch Annette's eye through the window. I wondered whether she'd still be mad the next day, and why I never seemed to be able to be friends with more than one human female at a time. When I got my bearings, I realized Renee was already walking away from me toward her house. For some odd reason, perhaps my brain had just reached its female logic overload point, I didn't call out after her. As she turned the corner without ever looking back to be sure I was still there staring, she said something to me, and I could hear the laughter in her voice. Thanks for the gum. I kept looking until she was out of sight behind the huge old oak tree at the end of the block. Boy, did that girl know how to walk. So I was hanging in there. But the weirdness of acting normal when nothing really was normal was exhausting. One day I fell asleep in social studies class and the teacher took me out in the hall to talk about it. How are you, Stephen? Is there more bad news at home? No, things are just swell. We spend our time knitting matching sweaters, baking wholesome cookies from scratch, and watching my brother's hair fall out. Moron. No, I just have um, a lot on my mind. Can I... Think fast, Stephen. Can I go see the school counselor? Of course he let me go. I... <laughs> Of course he let me go. I had already figured out that most teachers did not want to stand in the corridor talking about pediatric cancer when they could be safely in their rooms handing out worksheets. Mrs. Galley looked happy to see me, which was a nice feeling. Maybe I had only asked to see her so I could get out of class, and maybe I was merely in the mood for a candy heart or two, but I really was starting to trust this woman. She asked me how things had gone with the math grade bust weekend and in the weeks of school since then. I told her the whole story of that first weekend with my parents and about how I was keeping up with my work and social life. She looked relieved that my rents hadn't tied me to a stump behind the woodshed and given me a beating. And I could have left it at that with Mrs. Galley feeling like she had done a successful good deed by letting me choose how to handle my makeup work and my mom's notification and with me feeling like I had earned some cinnamon-flavored snackage. But it wasn't the whole story. Mrs. Galley, I can't sleep at night. I have this nightmare over and over again. I'm playing catch with my brother, and... I paused, and she quickly slid a box of tissues over to me. See, this lady was a good. I talked for another half period, at least, and I didn't stop until that tissue box was looking pretty undersupplied. She listened and listened and even turned off her incoming phone line, 
About five different people stuck their heads into her office, but she shooed them all away and she finally locked her door. Every once in a while, she asked a question or two, but she basically just let me rip. At the very end, I summed up by telling her how out of control I felt, like I couldn't affect any of the problems that were all around me. I can't wave a wand and make Jeffrey better. I can't call my Swiss banker and have him wire transfer a couple million dollars to my parents' account. I can't even make my family feel better about anything. All I do is sulk, cry, and yell at my parents. But you do make your family feel better. I know Jeffrey must appreciate all of the playtime you spend with him. And I could tell when I talked to your mother that she was very proud of how responsible you have been. Sending away your math tutor, that took real courage. <laughs> you have no idea, Mrs. G. Yeah, but I can't change all the roots of the problems. I can't change the basic situation. Well, Stephen, I have to send you back to class now because I have a group of students coming in. But I want to leave you with one thing to think about. Instead of agonizing about the things that you can't change, why don't you try working on the things you can change? I thanked her and I took a candy heart. Okay, a few for the road and a couple of tissues. And I made her promise that she'd call me back down the next week. While I was on a roll, maybe I should have asked her to stock up on some new desk candy too, but there are times when you just don't push your luck. Over the next few days, my head was a jumble of battling, quote, bubbles. Me, what's the point of? Mrs. Galley, why don't you try working on the things you can change? Of course, that was when I was awake. When I was asleep, the nightmares just kept on coming. I was starting to wonder whether I was going to be a nervous wreck for years and years, finally losing it completely and waking up in a mental ward with a tight white sleeveless coat on. Then two things happened in quick succession. I figured out how to save some money and Annette fell down a flight of stairs.